Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Uh, We are going to interrupt our regularly scheduled programming today because um, we're going to talk about this amazing book, Unacceptable, um, all about the Varsity Blues scandal, which many of you may have forgotten about, or maybe not. Um, But if you have no idea what we're talking about, haven't forgotten about it, or have never heard of it, you need to pick up this book. And um, joining me today is Melissa Korn, who, with her co-author, Jennifer Levitz, wrote this book. Hi, Melissa. Hi there. Thanks for having me. And I love to have all those post-it notes and tabs in the book. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I ripped out like three quarters of them out before we talked today. So, um, you know, obviously, it's a little inside baseball for me to read this, because as a former admissions officer, I know a lot of the things and in the work that I do now, I'm in this world. So of course, for me, I think it's inside baseball. But honestly, I would recommend this book to anyone. For our listeners, um, just really quickly, Melissa is um, covers the higher ed beat, if you will, at the Wall Street Journal and uh, writes a lot of really interesting articles with great information. In fact, you have one, was it this week or last, where you were talking about what we see ha- uh, happening with the regular decisions this year, right? Yeah, I'm just really glad I don't have a high school senior at the moment. Um, yeah. it, it's just madness this spring. It really is. And it's going to be heartbreaking and just so complicated and fraught and a really rough few months here for a lot of people. Yeah, I think you are very right about that. Um, I have a high school junior and I similarly have been sort of thanking God on pretty much a regular basis that he's not going to be applying this year for a number of reasons. Last year's group of seniors and this year's group of seniors are really caught in the crossfire of things that clearly have nothing to do with them and everything to do with the world that we're in right now, namely the pandemic. But before there was a pandemic, there was a massive scandal. And in fact, um, when Melissa and I were going back and forth about her appearance on the show today, um, I, I was reminded that literally a year ago, she and I were sitting talking about was meant to kind of be a, hey, what's going on with Varsity Blues a year later? And instead it was a, oh my goodness, this school is sending kids home and COVID and what is this going to look like? And then, I don't know, within a week we were quarantining at home and this whole new thing started. Right. It was Uh, one of my last in-person meetings Yeah, a year. (laughs) It was. And in fact, I went from that meeting with you to a meeting with um, a student who was based in New York City. Um, and we kind of went back and forth about, should we do it in person? Should we not do it in person? And ultimately, we were like, let's just do it in person. We, we were all still sort of denying, I think, the reality of what was happening. Obviously, we were. Absolutely. But, <laughs> um, but uh, for our listeners' sake and just anyone who's, I don't know, been living under a rock, wasn't paying attention to 2019, take us through the basics of this um, of Unacceptable and the Varsity Blue scandal. Yeah, it does feel like forever ago, doesn't it? But it was really just over two years ago. So March 12th, 2019, um, prosecutors in Boston laid out this really complicated, sprawling scheme. And they said it was the largest college admissions case ever prosecuted by the Justice Department. Um, Essentially, this college counselor, Rick Singer, Uh, initially based up in Sacramento and then down in uh, Orange County, California. He uh, ran a large counseling business, you know, kind of traditional stuff. Uh, He had people who did some test prep, who essay writing, essay coaching, you know, coming up with a list, all the usual stuff. And then he had this whole menu of illicit options as well that you could order from. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. A menu, (laughs) but you were right. (laughs) Yeah. And so there were two main things that he did through the illegal operation. The first had to do with uh, standardized tests. He would encourage his clients' kids to get tested for learning differences so they could get additional time, enough additional time, they could take the test at a different testing site entirely. 
And Singer paid off the test site administrators at two places to look the other way when a proctor he paid off right. would go in and then fix the kids' test scores, test, uh, test answers. Right. So he might, after the fact, like erase some bad stuff and fix it on the Scantron. In some cases, he just fed the kids the answers if the kids were in on it. Mm-hmm. And they would boost their score, not by so much that it would raise red flags with colleges, or the college board or the ACT, but enough that it would maybe give them a nice little edge in applying to schools. But there was no guarantee there, right? Right. Guaranteed score, but no guaranteed admission. The other side, the other prong um, has to do with uh, athletic recruiting, which Mm -hmm. is much closer to a guarantee. And that was one of the things that was so appealing about it. So Singer called this his side door and he would pitch uh, these teens as star athletes, even when they weren't, even when sometimes they didn't even play the sport at all. Right. He would craft these fake resumes, these athletic profiles, Photoshop a kid onto some other athlete. So it looked like, you know, yes. uh, you know, me in the pool or here's me pole vaulting mid jump and, uh, he would work with college coaches for these teams, which are a little more kind of under the radar teams, not football or basketball. And they would get some money or their program would get some money and they would flag these kids as recruits. Um, the admissions office took their word for it, that they were, you know, quality players and they got in, uh, they would get their likely letter in the fall and their, admissions letter. And once they got their likely letter, they would kind of make the next round of payments to Rick Singer. And it was a a very sweet deal for all of them. It was a lot less expensive than trying to, you know, buy a building on some campus. Right. Which as is noted a few times, there aren't any guarantees. And also the colleges don't really like the idea of a quid pro quo. And here you have a bunch of wealthy people who are used to being able to write a check and make what they want to make happen. And that was obviously incredibly appealing about what Rick Singer put in front of them, even though, and especially as we read in the book, they knew that this was completely not on the up and up and totally a a bad thing to do, a wrong thing to do. And I think this is the point at which I I give the disclaimer. There are some parents who have pleaded not guilty. Yes, Uh, They're expected to go to trial this fall. The trial has been delayed a few times. Uh, and that's part of their def- part of their defense is I didn't know this was illegal. This was just kind of an extreme version of what plenty of people do, making donations to a college, supporting an athletic program, right, in the hopes that you get some special treatment, right. Except that they knew that the the money. I I did like there are a couple of parents that you highlight in the book who who walk away when they realize, and there was one guy who. Um, just kind of dug a little bit deeper and said, well, who's getting the check? And they said, well, the check goes to the coach. And he says, okay, I'm out because he knows. Wait a second. That's not where the check is supposed to be going. Right. Right. Maybe it feels a little bit less icky. That's a technical term for it. Right. The icky, Mm -hmm. um, if you're giving money and it's going to new uniforms or for travel costs for the team or something like that, or if you're, kid is actually kind of a borderline player. And we came across some cases, you know, at UCLA in particular, a decade ago, where this Mm -hmm. was an issue, where families were making these pledges right around the time their decent but not fantastic athlete Mm -hmm. was getting in as an athlete. Right, right. It's, um, yeah, it's tricky stuff. And um, I guess one thing I did want to talk a little bit more about is what, in your opinion, are some of the contributing factors to, I think we've covered a couple sort of on the slide, but, you know, how did this, what allowed something like this to happen? What created the opportunity? Yeah, there's a lot of blame to go around here, I yes. think. So in terms of kind of institutions, uh, we can place some blame on the colleges and universities for not doing a very good job keeping tabs on who's being admitted right? Mm -hmm. Not asking questions, not fact-checking applications. And when these schools are getting so many applications, you can't really expect them to call the school principal and confirm that somebody was the president of the science club and not the vice president, or, you know, that they actually volunteered at that place. You just have to take someone's word for it. The common app asks you to sign and say, yes, this is true. And at some point, the university just has to say, okay, I'm going to believe them. Uh, 
so the fact that they didn't really check any of that stuff, um, they trusted the coaches so much because why would a coach flag someone as a recruit if they weren't going to help the team? Right. Uh, so that autonomy that the coaches had was really quite extraordinary at some schools. Uh, so that's the, the universities that we can blame. Um, you can blame uh, the testing organizations for you know, kind of being pretty hands-off in terms of who actually administers the tests, the fact that this guy could become a proctor and there was actually more than one proctor on Rick Singer's payroll. Um, And then we can also, I think, blame high schools Mm -hmm. for some of this for setting the stage for families to think that any action this extreme was necessary Mm -hmm. uh, to make sure their kids succeeded, right? We've got high schools sending very mixed messages about what success means, uh, we want our kids to find the right fit. We want them to go to a college that where they'll flourish and follow their passion and grow into wonderful adults. But on our website, when we talk about college counseling, we're only going to highlight the ones who got into IVs. Right. And and actually, one thing I would like to point out is mostly what you're talking about there is we're talking about those private schools where they're charging, right? Yes. 30000 35000 dollars $50,000 or more. And those are the schools where... Um, those mixed messages are, are found most prevalently, I would say. And I would say public schools in uh, particularly affluent areas as well. Right. But not all public schools and, you know, not all private schools. But at some point, like that is what the families are buying when they're paying tuition to those schools, right? It's the path to these elite universities. Right. Uh, so they, they think they are. And, you know, so, so here's where my, here's where, here's where I um, kick in too, because um, obviously the parents also um, bear some responsibility here too, right? Because, you know, I was struck by um, Jack Buckingham, whose mother, Jane um, Buckingham, which is sort of interesting too, because she's two years ahead of me in college. And when I moved to New York City, she was like... Uh, I worked in marketing and PR at the time, and she was this amazing person that makes you ask yourself, like, geez, like, what have I done lately? This she was right. sold, a, created and sold a company. And and so here's this kid. He has identified a school that he loves, that he's competitive at, that his mom actually likes, too. And yet and yet. They get sucked in. And I shouldn't say they, because really, I think the blame here lies with the mom gets sucked into the idea that, but USC would be better. And, uh, you know, it's, that's, I think, a societal thing. The idea that the school that is less likely to take you is the one that is better. Right. And let's just say clearly, a school that is more selective is not necessarily better. It's right. just more selective, right? It might have just done a really good job at marketing yes. and bumping up application numbers while keeping the class size the same with the sole goal of becoming more selective and kind of going up a notch in the rankings or in just people's minds. Oh, you know, they now have a different set of peer schools. That does not mean that they they got better. Right. Maybe they did, but... Not maybe not. Exactly. Well, and, and I like, there's a moment in the book and I've got a sticky note and I actually even underlined it and I could read it out loud, but where you, for me, pinpointed a true turning point in the world of college admissions. And it actually happened the year before I graduated from high school. And that is when the U.S. News and World Report started making rankings a yearly thing and people became obsessed with the idea that, oh, now I know what is the best. So instead of, and this is what you wrote was really great, was just instead of looking at what school would be best for me, people started saying, what school is the best? And that is where things changed. And they took it a step further. And okay, now you can judge a school. So therefore you can judge the kid or the family yes. that, is, you know, that is looking at that school. Oh, that's a really high powered family because they're looking at top 10 schools. That school, you know, that family, they're only looking at top 50s or right. Right, assigning some value judgment to all of the people associated with a school. And there is no best school. And I say that knowing that the Wall Street Journal does publish rankings mm-hmm. and I'm involved in that package. One of my favorite stories is writing about um, most diverse schools or uh, best ROI where it's, you know, more data driven. Um, 
about, you know, salaries and things like that. But the best school for me is not the same as the best school for, you know, Jimmy and Johnny and any other generic J name. It's just, it's so specific to the student, to their goals in college, uh, to their wants and needs and financial situation and all of that. Um, so having this firm list of these are the best schools and therefore you can, you know, it's only success if you get into something on this short list that drove so much of this, this very myopic worldview of what counts as success. Well, exactly. And the idea that somehow this was going to resonate significantly in every facet of your life from there on in, it was all going to be about where you go to school. And um, the last time I checked, uh, most people hiring were not saying, well, your school was ranked number 25 in U.S. News and World Report and yours was only ranked number 70. And so we're just going to only interview you because your school was ranked number 25 or worse, right? We're going to hire you because your school was ranked that. So I mean, I will say employers could do better at this, right? They yes. choose what school, uh, not right now because nobody's doing campus visits, but right, campus recruiting, that, that whole machine is very focused on a particular list of schools, often schools that are top ranked in a particular degree program or that, you know, enough employees went to, so they've got some ties there. Schools could open that door a little bit wider. And I actually think during the pandemic, uh, companies have opened that door a little Mm -hmm. bit wider just because they've had to, right? Everything's virtual. Uh, So in certain industries, I feel like that school name maybe does matter a little bit more. If you're going on to graduate school, not necessarily, right? If you are going into certain industries, not necessarily, right? If you want to stay local, it doesn't matter if your school doesn't have a national name brand. Right. And I think, yeah, it's just, it's, it's frustrating when people have that. The other issue with these families was they already had so much going for them. Yes. <laughs> right. These kids lived in fantastic houses with, they wanted for nothing. Um, they would have landed somewhere fine anyway. These were good kids for the most part who would have gone on to college and thrived wherever they ended up. Uh, And even if they didn't, their parents had enough connections and enough money to help them stay on their feet. Right. Well, so that was a huge piece for me. And I even say, I see it in my own life, right? So my parents were both teachers. My mom was a professor of nursing at a community college. My father taught English in a middle school in a town near here. Um, I didn't know anybody. I didn't, where I went, actually where I went to high school and then where I went to college had a big impact on me and my ability to network and meet people. That was really impactful to me. My son doesn't need that. He is um, growing up in a house where I have a network. My husband, his stepfather has a network. His own father has a network. He has opportunities. He doesn't have remotely the opportunities that some of these kids have. You people do. Yeah, exactly. That's very true. But he's going to have opportunities. And from my perspective, none of that is tied to where he's going to ultimately go to college. Granted, I have 18 years of working in this industry to kind of get to that point, (laughs) you know, but, but I was very much struck by what you were saying, too. It's not like the choice was community college or no college, or USC, it was, in the case of poor Jack, um, it was going to uh, the University of Southern, Southern wait, SMU, right? Southern SMU, Methodist? yeah. Yeah, uh, Southern Methodist University, or USC. Both perfectly lovely and fine institutions. So it's yes. just the mind boggles at the, I don't know what to call it other than just stupidity of it, it all. It just bad. So one of the things that stuck with me now we're going on, you know, more than a year uh, was something that one of the judges said during a sentencing and was, you know, these these parents, those who pleaded guilty and were sentenced, they kept saying, you know, I was just trying to do what was best for my kid. Like this was done out of love. And the judge stopped one of the parents and said, are you sure? Like, is that really who you were doing this for? Yes. Your kid would have been fine. Um, And it wasn't about getting your kid into college. It was about getting your kid into a very specific college that you deemed the right college. Right. And that kind of, you know, quieted some of the parents a little bit because it, 
really was true, that it wasn't just to get into college writ large, but a particular one with a very fancy bumper sticker. Yes. And I love that judge. And she's the one. So I don't want to give anything away, but I found (laughs) this book. So I know what happens in it. Um, Certainly, we know what's happened to all the parents who so far have pled guilty and been sentenced. And yet still, when I was reading that part, I'm like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Like, I know what's going to happen. Why am I? (laughs) But it was very it is was really fascinating to watch the ebb and flow of you know, were they going to get jail time? Were they not going to get jail time? And how, what did that come down to? And um, I love that judge because she's the one who kind of set that precedent. She did. And she made some really interesting rulings and some really interesting decisions about why she was still giving them prison time. All but one person so far, all but Mm -hmm. one parent has gotten prison time. Um, When one of the challenges, like there's a complicated legal element to this case of who's actually the victim here. Right. Prosecutors had to charge it that the victims were the universities because they were kind of cheated out of one of their spots, which is their property, or the um, college board and the ACT were the other victims. In reality, these schools got tuition dollars from these families. Often they got additional donations beyond that. So there wasn't really a discernible uh, financial loss to the schools. but. There was reputational loss. And as we say in the book, there were victims here. There were the kids who didn't get in because these people cheated to get in. Right. Um, And I think that was something that we, as we set out to write the book, it was really important to us to make clear that this wasn't a a victimless crime. No. And and you did because... for me, again, the when you were talking about the kids behind the pictures that were photoshopped... That was super compelling because it was, they took a picture, um, they photoshopped the kid's face into it, but that was a real teenager accomplishing something real and amazing. And neither of those kids that you highlight in the book who actually did these things were even sniffing a place like USC. They, you know, were going local. They were going, I think one was, went to a community college. And, and again, I don't, I love community college. My mother taught in a community college. It's just that they were getting to college the harder way. And they, you know, there were their accomplishments stolen by these families. Yeah. I mean, USC wasn't on their radar and they weren't on USC's radar, even though they were perfectly good, good kids with great, that happened to be great athletes. Right. Um, And that was really heartbreaking reporting that, reporting that chapter out, just these kids who their, their success was stolen. And yes. use for somebody else. Yes. I, yeah, exactly. I agree. I think that's a really challenging part of this. What, going um, back, I was just going to say, going back to the courtroom for a second. Yes. That was so stressful. Like just sitting in the gallery. And again, I, I'm not a legal reporter. I've covered court cases before. But when you're sitting there for a sentencing, mm-hmm. your stomach is in your throat. <laughs> you're, you're nervous just watching it happen. And you're seeing the defendant who is often quite emotional as well. And there's that minute before the judge kind of lays it out there of what the actual sentence will be. And you're just, it's so nerve wracking. It's so tense for everybody. Uh, And again, these were not enormous prison sentences. This wasn't somebody being sentenced to 20 years or to death or something like that. Right. But there's still just this person's life is about to change so dramatically um, whether you like them or not, the defendant, it's, this is an important moment in their life and you're witnessing it and you're anxious about it just right. by being nearby. I, well, I can only imagine. And the reality is for these, these are people who in their wildest dreams never imagined they would spend any time in jail. And I can imagine as I sit here and think, wow, two weeks, what's two weeks, but yet I wouldn't want to spend two weeks in jail. I don't know what that would be like or how I would prepare for something like that. And I think even at one night that you spend where you are locked up and not in control of your freedom would be hard. Um, Absolutely. So, 
Yeah. I mean, there's a reason the judges generally haven't let them just serve uh, home confinement, you know, just do house arrest because they live in really nice houses. That's no, that's not a punishment. That is not that. a punishment. Exactly. And it would be seen as exactly what would have been the case. Well, it would have been because law, as you pointed out, there wasn't technically anything that got stolen and yet there wasn't a loss. And yet um, it would be seen for, oh, of course, this was, these were wealthy people. They bought their way in and now they're going to buy their way out of the legal implications of this. And so there is something very satisfying about watching prison sentences being uh, handed down to yes. this group, I think. We're going um, to take a quick break. When we come back, I, I want to talk a little bit more about Rick Singer, who is at the center of it all, and then also kind of dive into the aftermath and what you and I have seen that has changed, if we've seen anything change, and you know where we go from here. So um, we'll be back in just a minute, so don't go away. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right. Hi, everybody. I am back with my guest today, Melissa Korn, who wrote this book, Unacceptable, um, which we have been talking about, and it's all about the Varsity Blues scandal. And actually, in the second segment, what I really want to do is get a little bit more into the guy at the center of it all, um, who does, in theory, did, sorry, he doesn't do this anymore because he's going to jail, um, what I do uh, on a very, very, like, I even hate to, uh, 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 you know, say that we're anything alike because we're really not in name only we did the same thing um and that's rick singer and he did not belong to any of the professional organizations that have you know ethics standards uh he was not part of any of those groups so yes he was a college counselor but not in kind of the the mainstream of college counseling exactly he certainly is someone who's given the profession a very bad name um i have a bunch of things that i you know would love to point to about rick singer and for me the overwhelming sense since the beginning has always been what were these parents thinking you could tell this guy is a shyster from the second he opens his mouth I'm amazed that these people were okay with him working with their children. And so I'm curious about your take. And you've actually, have you been in the room with him when the trials were going on? Yes or no? He hasn't been. That's true. um, uh, Jennifer was there uh, when he pleaded guilty. She was there in person, but uh, he hasn't been in court since really. Okay. So So he's he's still out. He'll be sentenced after everyone else. Yeah. Which will, that will be very interesting to see what he gets. (laughs) Right. So Um, so what's your take on our pal Rick Singer? Rick's a really fascinating character. So he grew up kind of lower middle class in more a slightly more affluent neighborhood and had this chip on his shoulder. And from the start, he was very competitive and always exaggerated. Yes. Um, perhaps that's an exaggeration to say always, but often exaggerated. Yes. And that was just part of who he was. And people liked him. He was affable. He was pretty popular. Um, he did not have a very straight path 
uh, through college. He knocked around to a few different schools. He was in his mid-20s by the time he graduated. So he did not have that very fancy pedigree that many of his clients did. Um, he worked as a basketball coach uh, at a junior college and then at um, Cal State and, and at a high school. And he cut, got to see the athletic recruiting process up close. And I think that was part of what helped him in this process. He also was really good at relating to kids, especially the, the young men um, who challenged him to a push-up contest. He would just kind of wouldn't take nonsense from them. And right. he'd be able to tell them things that mom and dad would try, but the kid wouldn't listen. And somehow it worked when Rick told them to do it. You know, you got to buckle down, you got to work harder. He also had quite a bit of knowledge about schools. And this was before you could just Google a campus, right? Yes. This was back, in, back in the early nineties, um, in the mid nineties, he just, he had pamphlets, he had books, he had an encyclopedic knowledge of a lot of these schools. So he really could help some of these families, especially in the early periods, um, navigate the process and narrow their list down and all of that. Uh, I think one of the things that some parents liked about him was that he offered to make it really easy. He offered yes. to take care of this problem, that college admissions is a hassle. It is a stressful experience for everyone in the family. Rick's just going to make it simpler, calmer, and faster. Right. He's kind of going to make it go away almost for the parents. Go away. Yes. Right, right. Uh, and that was really appealing for some parents. Um, there were some parents who, you know, if they had not been to college, right, you'd want someone to help guide you through it. And even those who did go to college, it's a lot different now than it was when they were going in the 70s and 80s. Yes. So they were kind of shocked to hear how hard it was to get into certain schools. That said, Rick sometimes played up. Yes. How hard it was at some of these. He, uh, you know, it was really fascinating kind of the psychology of how he figured out which clients would go over that line to the illegal stuff. Um, some reached out to him because of that. They knew he was working this scheme and, hey, I want in. Others started with very innocent, you know, test prep or uh, tutoring or things like that, and then kind right. of slowly walked their way over. Um, and Singer was, was really good at reading people. So, uh, you know, he, um, he saw that they were, had their insecurities as parents or, you know, am I doing this right? Um, I want to keep up with the Joneses. I can't disappoint my kid. All that stuff. Yes. Some of it eye rolling. I think I just rolled my eyes involuntarily, but yes, exactly. (laughs) And he would, so people ask when this all started and the federal criminal case mostly goes back to about 2011. There's a reference to one situation in 2008, but nobody was charged with that. It was an older sibling of, you know, a couple of the kids whose deals were detailed. So we put it back to at least 2008 for mm-hmm. this particular scheme, but we know that he was doing some shady stuff well before then. And I think as you learn more about those kind of smaller lies that he would encourage people to tell, then you see how it builds up to this wholesale, like, sure, I'll pretend my kids, uh, you know, a coxman on the road, on the crew team. Right. Yes, exactly. And I think for me, a couple of the, the key things You know, I think about this from the perspective of how do you avoid the Rick Singers in your future? To me, it seemed like he might as well have hung out a neon sign that said, please don't let me alone with your children and don't work with me. I am, you know... Not a good guy, right? But clearly, people did not see it that way. So let me get to be you. clear: there, there, there's no safety issues involved in him being left alone with the team. Sure. <laughs> what you're saying? Yes, exactly. And more just is this really someone you want interacting with your child? And I think things like um, a good counselor is never going to ratchet up the anxiety and then hit you with the, but I'm going to solve that problem. A good counselor is right from the get-go going to say, my role here is to try and make this process easier. It's trying to, but not by first, you know, sort of saying it's so hard and you can't do this unless you have me. That is a red flag. Any kind of lying or fibbing to make something appear better, bad. Yes. Yeah. So there were a bunch of those over the years. Um, some of the more surprising or, or tend to be horrifying ones 
um, him encouraging people to check off um, a race or ethnicity that they were not. Yes. Um, schools don't check. Schools don't verify. They're not going to say, please send me a DNA sample. Please send me your some, uh, you know, please send me your tribal card. Please send me uh, a photo of yourself. Like they're not going to ask that just opens way too many dangerous legal doors. Yes. But so if you mark off that you're something, they're going to believe you. Uh, so Rick would kind of knowing that certain schools were really working hard to diversify their student populations. He encouraged students to check off that they were Hispanic or Latino, that they were first generation college students rather than actually legacies at that particular school. Yeah. Bad. Um, you know, kind of weighing like, okay, which one is going to give me more of an edge saying nobody in my family went to college or my dad went here. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah there's a lot of exaggerations, you know, going f- from, uh, you know, I, I, volunt- I did this one program to, I led this huge initiative. He was really big on having kids kind of build their brands, which right. I think is another red flag because you want to be applying to school, to a school that will be a good fit for your authentic self, right? Not for this packaged fake version of yourself that you're pitching. And if you don't actually care about building houses or uh, music or whatever the brand is that you've decided to do, that's probably not the right school for you. Well, there's absolutely, and we could probably do an entire other show around that. It's so true, but Certainly, um, I, I have to completely agree with that idea. The goal really is you put your best foot forward in that application, not some fake person's best foot forward. We talk all the time about the importance of authenticity because if you're not your authentic self, it, it, it does nobody any good. Not the colleges that are reading your application, nor you when you get to any college that you get into with this inauthentic person. Um, other red flags for me included some of the bigger ones, right? Writing your essay. If you are hiring someone and one of the things they're going to do for you is write your essay, you are not maybe at the level where you're going to wind up in jail, but that is not cool. That's cheating. (laughs) A very big difference between having an adult read over an essay, having somebody help brainstorm ideas, having somebody maybe read through for uh, typos or grammar, because you want to send, you know, a polished piece of your work, but yes. ultimately it should be your work. Yes. Uh, and there are a few examples in the book, you know, a, a kid in a very fancy yes. house writing about his, his, you know, growing up in poverty and how hard that was. And he had like a pool with a water slide in the back. And it, it, <laughs> yeah, it strains credulity. I mean, yes, they're going to these fancy private schools and you could be a scholarship student there. But then when you also look at the address and I mean on some level you kind of do have to take them a little bit at their word but it is shocking to me a little bit that some of this didn't raise more eyebrows and Uh, there were throughout the whole scheme there were a few times that guidance counselor the college counselors at high school did try to raise some red flags and say something seems a little fishy here this seems a little off and for a variety of reasons, it just didn't go anywhere. The complaints, the the concerns got shot down, um, whether it was by the high school, by other people at the high school, um, you know, a per, uh, USC one point, uh, there were kind of some questions around a few athletic admits. The person who was put in charge of reviewing yeah. that, investigating, uh, was Donna Heinell, who's been charged in the scheme. Yes. And they put her in charge of it. I love that. And I actually had a little post-it note on that. I'm like, well, that's just brilliant. Yes. And actually, you know, I do the one, one of the things that um, was most jaw dropping for me and made me feel so school counselors in this country have really difficult jobs, um, especially at public schools, also at private schools, but, but really at public schools and And in the ratios, people don't quite realize just how awful these ratios are, right? You've got one guidance counselor or counselor for mm-hmm. three, four, 500 students. Um, and that's not just college counseling for most of them. No. It's general, you know, course selection, mental health issues, everything. It is, is everything. And when in the early days, he was doing things like going into the schools and sitting in on counselor meetings and the parents were foisting him on them. Uh, that is just so awful to mm-hmm. me because 
I view my role as supporting this, what the school counselors are doing and obviously supporting the student and the parents, but I would never ever dream of going in and and saying something like that. I will raise things with kids and say, hey, have you thought about taking this class? That's a conversation you should have. And if they come back and say, my school says no, and here's why. Okay, great. Then no, that's the answer. And he says things like, you tell them you're taking it, and they have no idea what they're talking about. That to me is, if you have a counselor that you've hired and that's how they talk about your school counseling staff, that is also a red flag for me. Right. And every school has different policies about how or if they'll even engage with the independent counselor. Yes. But it certainly should not be an antagonistic relationship or one in which one party is trying to hide something from the other. Right. Right. Like if the private counselor, the independent counselor doesn't want the school to know that you're applying to a particular school or what your essay looks like, big red flags there. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. The fact that he was also submitting essays for families, also a no, complete and total no-no. You Mm. have to press submit. Yes, (laughs) you really do. You have to. Even when we would, we were still having students come into our offices, I wouldn't even, there would be times where you just have a kid who is so stressed about it that they might literally sit in your office while they press submit. Yeah. But never, ever, ever do we want to be in a position of pressing submit. And the fact that he was just taking wholesale and and I will get these in for you, so bad. I mean, some of these families didn't know the logins for the Common App because they had never even logged in because he just did it all. Yeah. Yeah, and, And I think that's another thing, right? If you're completely, if this is your, your student's college process and you're just saying, hey, you know, this guy's going to do the whole thing for you. And you're, that's, I mean, yeah. there's so many bad messages being sent to children over this, but to me, that's a big one. And I think the college application process is a really good learning experience for teens, right? Yes. Trying to distill a bit of who you are, trying to identify who you are as you're applying and deciding what schools to apply to and writing your essays. That's all really valuable. Looking at your your extracurriculars list and saying, oh, wow, you know, there is a theme that goes through all this or there's not. And I've just tried a lot of really awesome things. And that shows that I can pick up things quickly. Like there are lessons in all that, just like there's valuable lessons in being rejected. Yes. Um, Yes. I I did not get into my first choice school and I was devastated, but I have since survived and uh, it was all for the best. And in the moment, it doesn't feel that way, of course, but those are all good learning experiences in kind of preparing for adulthood. Well, and I would like to know who is the adult who has sailed through life without encountering anything negative, ever hearing no. And for many of these students, it will be the first time they've heard no. And and when I worked at Penn, you would get calls from people who heard no and really didn't like it. And, and I didn't get that stressed about those calls because that was my attitude. These are people who are going to be fine. Yes. They're going to wind up somewhere and they're probably going to wind up somewhere really good and I'm just not going to worry about it that much. And, you know, I bet there are plenty of people who dreamed about going to Penn, didn't get in, and then went somewhere else and are thinking, I couldn't believe, I can't imagine that I would have gone anywhere else. And, you know, life. All right. So that we don't run out of time, let's talk about the aftermath of all of this. I am seeing, I've seen a few interesting changes. I'm curious from your end, um, what you see as, changes that were made or maybe not made as a result of of this? All right. So um, the final chapter of the book is titled A System Reformed? Question mark. Yes. That probably gives a little hint of where I land on this question. Um, I am surprised by how little schools have set out to change since the scandal. Mm -hmm. We have seen some major changes in college admissions in the process, but that was a result of the pandemic, not Mm -hmm. this cheating, fraud, case. So uh, right when this scandal broke, the college board and the ACT said, you know, these were just a few bad apples. Like our tests are very secure. We're cool. Like, don't Mm -hmm. worry about it. We got this. We're not making any further changes. A bunch of colleges said, we're the victims here. Mm -hmm. You know, this wasn't our fault. And a bunch of college counselors, uh, or sorry, a bunch of admissions officers and college counselors actually said, none of us were charged, right? Like, our groups weren't involved. This was not an admission scandal. Right. Um, and there's a scene in the book of me at a conference of 
admissions counselors and college counselors, admissions officers and college counselors just with that refrain over and over for like four days. And it was astonishing. You know, it was a sports scandal. It was a testing scandal. But this was not an admissions scandal. Don't blame admissions offices. Well, but is the practices and it is the ways in which schools have set up admissions and development and the relationship between those two offices, right? Fundraising admissions, there's always going to be some questionable behavior as long as those offices have any interaction with each other. Right. Um, so haven't seen that much change there. There's uh, certain rules were put in place at some schools in terms of the timing of gifts or who has to sign off on a gift. They're not saying no to the gifts. It's just, they're not there. Yeah. Interestingly enough, one thing that, so most, we help people in a variety of ways, one of which is free, right? We do these podcasts, they're free. We write a blog, that's free. We post five times a week on that. We also um, work with many people through their employers. So their employer sponsors the benefit and we help them. But we do have a small group of people that we work with in a very traditional independent counseling. And we do have amongst those families, some who have development ties at schools. One interesting thing that we are seeing and that my colleagues in this world are also seeing, not here at College Coach, is that the development piece had less of an impact this year. And development ties that I was sure would come through because they absolutely would have in the past did not. And that has been an interesting development for me. Yeah, I don't know how much of that is individual kind of concern and focus on optics and just this is right and wrong versus firm policies by the schools. Yeah. I think we need a few more cycles to really see that. Yeah. Same with, um, you know, admissions offices verifying uh, applications, doing some audits. Some schools have said, okay, you know, we'll, we'll call around and check the facts of a few more of these. And, oh, if a kid got in um, as a recruited athlete, we'll make sure that they actually are on the roster of the team. Because apparently before schools did not do that. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> Which it is, is amazing. Yeah. So, you know, all in all, that stuff, I haven't seen really significant change. Uh, and I don't know that there will be on that front. I don't know that schools owned the problem enough to really see it as theirs to fix. I think a lot of high schools, especially some independent pricey high schools have said, we need to change our messaging here. Like we helped cause this in a way and good on them for owning that and kind of working to take it down a few notches in terms of the anxiety around college admissions. Uh, If there's some, you know, amusement that I can get from, if some of these families have just waited one or two years, they wouldn't have had to do the testing thing. I know. It's classic. I know. I know it. Uh, So, so, you know, it's, it's changed, but not because of the the scandal. So I think as more schools get test optional, there will always be someone trying to find an edge, trying to get an easy in. And as long as schools uh, are looking at any measures, and it's not just a totally blind lottery, people will find a way to try to game that system. Yeah, I, I, uh, yes, (laughs) full stop. One interesting piece in the aftermath that I have seen, which has been really fascinating and actually kind of disturbing is um, how many more people are trying to be in this space with no experience. Um, So you talk about that a little bit, just that, you know, there are, there are people. So on my team, everybody is a former admissions officer. Um, we're a member of NACAC. Every member of my team is a member of NACAC. There are professional organizations that people can join. Um, it's not a foolproof way to identify who's good and who's not. Right. But when you hang your shingle out and your only claim to fame is that you went to that school. Yes. And there are a tricky. lot of those. I, a lot. A lot. Um, a lot of, you know, I went to Harvard. I can help get you in. Yes. Or a lot of my son got into Princeton Therefore, I have mastered the system. Let me help you. Right. When in truth, they don't have no idea why the kid got into Princeton. They think right. they know, but they don't necessarily know. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Like you want somebody who's been involved, intimately involved in the process as an admissions officer. They understand how it works, whether it's at the particular, you know, your yes. top target school or another. Yes. There's still just a base knowledge that you get from being in those offices, in those rooms, in those discussions that 
unless you've been there, you can make some guesses and some pretty educated guesses, but you're right. just not going to know. Still a guess. Exactly. Um, and, and there was something that came up that I, um, well, I think another thing is just, you have to be careful about, um, guarantees and promises. And, um, you know, that's something that Rick did a lot of, right? That that's what these people loved, the idea that it was a guarantee. Or he'd come in and say, I know five other people have told you this isn't going to happen. And this is why they're saying it, but I'm going to give you, I'll tell you it can happen. And here's how you got to, you got to watch out for shopping around until someone tells you what you want to hear. I will say that it's very common practice um, for families in China to have a pay structure with their independent counselors where it's a small payment up front um, and you're not guaranteed admission to a particular school, but it's if you get into this tier of schools or this list of five schools, then the you pay this amount. If you get into this list, you pay a smaller amount, less prestigious schools, you know, things like that. And it's not fully a guarantee, but it's we don't get our money unless you get into one of these schools, the balloon payment at the end. There was actually just a federal case, um, uh, charges against some people in California who had that set up. And from what I can tell, the only real difference was they were doing it on U.S. soil. Right. And I I think they were... I think in that situation, we might be conflating too. <laughs> they were creating everything out of thin air for these kids. Yes. Fabricating yeah. their... You can say that happens in many parts of the world, but yeah. yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what drives me bonkers about those or the or conversely where you pay a huge sum of money and then you get some of it back if you don't get in is that... Every time I read that, I think that kid was getting into those schools anyway. It's right. it's it's on some level masterful and on another level just so egregious and it feels so icky. Um, we have only like one minute, one final thought from you on on all of this. And just as a reminder, the, the book is unacceptable and you can get it on Amazon or anywhere where you buy books. Um, final thought from you on on this whole thing. I tend to be pretty cynical and I have to admit that this covering the scandal for the past two years and knowing I'll be covering it at least through the fall with the trials uh, has not helped me become more, you know, positive and trusting or anything like that. But it also has made me realize that there are a lot of people who could help fix things. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of really good ideas out there to fix things. Um, You know, the big step of so many schools going test optional, at least for now, I think that's going to be really hard to undo that at a lot Mm -hmm. of these schools. I agree. It is. So this could be a much longer term wholesale change. I I think there are still opportunities for change, um, but I don't know who it's going to be to really kind of get that off the ground. If this wasn't some, if this didn't spark it, then Then I don't know what will. I know. Melissa, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, All right. Next week, Sally is here. She is going to be talking about summer planning, career coaching for teens, and we're going to be taking a look at higher ed finance legislation and updates on that. Um, So don't forget, we are here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.